Hopefully you believe and are following Jesus too. Hopefully that's what your household and your front room and those gathered with you as you're sipping your coffee or you're eating some lunch or breakfast or whatever your brunch is and you're gathered in that room, the truths of those worship songs that we just sang are critical to us even as Christ followers, even in light of as we look at this message today as we've been reading through Galatians chapter 2 and as we finish up Galatians chapter 2 today, think about this thought for a second. The quest to distinguish yourself is vanity. (laughs) Think about that for a second. If we're on a quest to distinguish ourselves, if you're on a journey to bring significance to yourself and say, hey, look at me, look how good I am, then you will be a miserable person the majority of your life. Think about this for a second. How often, if you walk that journey... Do you allow your feelings to trump your faith? And what I mean by that is this. If we base our significance and our security and our identity in that room that you're in now, if you woke up this morning, Sunday morning, and you got out of bed this morning, whether it was earlier this morning or just recently, if you got out and said, I feel good about myself today because this week, this is what I did for Jesus. The, I, I read my Bible. I, I, I told a thousand people about Jesus. I, I was kind to my wife. I was, I was kind to my mom and my dad. And if your faith or your relationship with Jesus is based upon your feelings then there will be days you'll be miserable. And the truth is this, when God looks at you right now, and, and even you could have had your worst night last night, and maybe, maybe today you were at it with your spouse, and maybe you were at it with your children, maybe you were at it with a friend, and you had your worst. When God looks at you right now, he sees you covered with the righteousness of Jesus. He sees more Jesus than he sees you in you. And so when you think about that, it changes the way you live. You see, we can't out-sin God's grace. Now, many will say, well, well, Pastor Jim, then, then, then you're abusing grace. No, I'm not. I'm just accepting the reality of God's word. Grace is good. It's so good to us. So pull away. No matter how horrible your week has been or no matter how good it's been in your mind, Your faith in Christ is your identity and your salvation. Your salvation is not based on your works. And so Paul was looking at this group and he's finding himself about ready to really come unleashed on Peter. In fact, grab your Bibles with me and let's just look at at Galatians chapter 2. Maybe your mobile device in the room that you're in right now. I can picture you right now trying to scramble for a Bible or open up your mobile device. Maybe you're grabbing your child's because maybe you're watching the service on your phone. You're saying, Jim, I don't even have an available mobile device. Well, then just follow along and turn to Galatians chapter 2 and let's just read. And if you're able to in that room that you're in and kick off your blanket or maybe you got your feet propped up, maybe you're, you're out taking a walk, just pause and, and read this with me, Galatians chapter 2. And if you're able to, stand with me as we read it together, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Let's read this. When Cephas, or Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. But before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was what? 
afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we find ourselves also among the sinners doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy then I really would would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is the righteousness, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." You can have a seat in your room there and, and prop your feet back up or maybe you're going for a walk. But let me begin by just bringing this truth to line for you. It is easy to believe the gospel but live as though we don't. Let that run through your mind. Paul is looking at Peter and saying, it's easy for you, Peter, to believe the gospel. And he's saying to us, those that are watching online today, it's easy for you in that room, it's easy for you with your family, it's e easy for you by yourself to believe the gospel, but live as though you don't. And so this book is saying that we should live by faith and not by law. In fact, every day we need to remind ourselves of what the true gospel is. And here it is in a nutshell. You and I are sinners. Amen? Can you get an amen in that room? Or maybe the 10 people are in the auditorium today. We are sinners saved by grace. And there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves or even to keep our salvation. You need to every day remind yourself, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Praise God. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. And if I could, I would boast about it. It's a free gift from God. Praise God for that. I don't have to keep earning it or keeping it today. Why is it that we struggle with this truth? So why is Paul going back to Peter who once believed this? Why all of a sudden is he believing something else? Why is it that we still struggle with this truth today? Why is it that we think it cheapens salvation if we aren't required to earn our salvation? Why is it that we think it's too good to be true? I believe I can tell you why. It's because... We believe a lie as devout followers of Jesus that we should never struggle with sin or we should get to a point where we don't sin again because we know Christ. And if Christ lives in us, then, then we shouldn't sin. And the truth is this, we believe that some of us, and I don't believe this, and this is unbiblical, something, I should get to a point where I'm at sinless perfection. Hear me out. You will never be without sin. Because of an old sin nature in you. And there's only been one 
God-man who has ever lived, that lived a perfect life, and his name is Jesus. You will never be perfect. You see, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Just, if that's all you remember today, that'll change your life. Because if you're living by feelings, well, this was a really good week, and I did all these things, and I feel good today. Yeah, I'm ready to worship God today because I, I, I checked off the list, and I did more good things than sinful things. Just remember this, that when Jesus went to the cross... His life was given for all of your sins. You see, grace makes God the hero and not us. (laughs) That's what happens. We, We somehow believe that we have to accomplish something or that we need to distinguish ourselves so that we can bump ourselves up. But grace makes God the hero, Jesus the hero. And Jesus is the hero In every story. That's what we need to remember. See, it's this man-made religion says, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Christianity is a Jesus-centered walk in faith. Peter walked with Jesus and, and was converted. This is the same Pete that walked on water. This is the same Peter that just 15 to 20 years prior to this moment in, in time right now that believed Jesus so much that he gave up his, his trade and followed him. And then he believed him so much that he actually walked on water. And now we find him going back to Old Testament customs saying, I need to keep the law. I need to do ceremonial laws. And not only that, he pulled Barnabas into hypocrisy too. In verse 12, here's why he did it. Look what it says in chapter 2 in verse 12. It says it. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was what? What's your Bible say in that room? He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You see, if you try to please man, you end up living a life filled with fear, remiss of courage, And without conviction, you will fall way short of your redemptive potential. Stop for a second and think about this with me. Peter is the first water walker, and now instead of walking by faith, he's trying to earn his way to Jesus. And he's more concerned with pleasing his friends than he is with honoring his God. So Paul moves on. He's going to call Pete out, and he's pretty ticked. And he says this to him in verse 14. He says, when I saw that they were acting in line. Now, this is important. Look at that phrase again. It struck me this week. Paul says, when I saw that they were acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish traditions he confronts him what's he confronting him with he says you are not walking or acting in line with the truth of the gospel but let me just let me just bank here for a second and just pause you see paul is saying you can't believe the gospel yet live as though you don't by keeping the law 
I love this visual that Paul gives, and this week it struck me, like I was, as I was digging in the text, it just came to mind, just this visual. He says, you are not in line. He says, you are not walking the straight line of the gospel. He says, Pete, let's take a sobriety test. He's now giving him a gospel sobriety test. Peter's drunkenness with the law is causing damage in the church. He is a pillar of the church. Think about this. It says in the gospels that the church will be built upon Peter. And now he's leading them astray. It's so easy to say we believe in the gospel, yet we live like we don't. Think with me for a second here about this line. He says, you don't understand this line. You're no longer walking this line of the truth of the gospel. Now, if you're driving down the road and you are inebriated or intoxicated from from alcohol and a police officer sees you swerving in the road, he will pull you over. And after getting your identification and finding out who you are, and if he smells the, the, the scent of alcohol, he will open up the car door and ask you to come out, and he will say, I want you to walk the line. And the reason he wants to see if you walk the line, he wants to see whether or not you are inebriated, if you're intoxicated, if there's a substance in you that keeps you from walking the straight line of of what the law requires. And so here's the deal. Paul is saying to Peter, Peter, you're not walking the straight line. There's this substance that you have in your life and you have added something to you that's not necessary. And it's called all these rules of the law and you think by doing these that you can walk the line. And, And Paul is saying, Pete, you can't keep trying to do all these things and walk a straight line. You can't keep the law and say, I'm going to keep the line. It is impossible to juggle all these things of the law and still stay straight to the line of the gospel, which is grace. He's saying, you are inebriated by trying to juggle all these rules. I took those all to the cross. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is the only way you can walk the straight line of the gospel. But isn't it true that we keep trying to add? Let me make sure I get up and and add this and add that. and, And it's like we're inebriated we're intoxicated with these, with these other substances. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I died for all that. The line of the gospel is grace through faith. This is one of the greatest challenges we face of believing the gospel in our heads but not really working out the implications of the gospel in our lives. And so Peter is, he used to walk the straight line of the gospel, which is salvation. Jesus plus nothing. 
I don't need to carry these, these moral laws. I don't need to do these ceremonial laws. I don't no longer need to do these civic laws of the Old Testament. It's Jesus plus nothing. And as soon as you try to add anything, you will be intoxicated or inebriated with these other substances. And Paul is looking at Pete and saying, Pete, you know the line. Why go back and juggle balls again? See, it's flattering at times for us to think that we can contribute something to our salvation. But hear me out. We can't. (laughs) In fact, look at your kids if you have children in that room and tell them there is nothing that flattering that you could ever do to earn or add to your salvation. You see, but here's what happens. We're humans. And we feel better about our standing with God or more secure in our salvation when we try to help. But God's ability to clean things up is far better than our ability to mess them up. Can I get an amen in that that room somewhere? Can I just like, aren't you grateful for that? That God's ability to clean things up is far better than our ability to mess them up. So he goes on, Paul goes on to Pete, and he's trying to help him understand, and he says this in verse 15. We, now look how many times he says that, that we're saved by faith and not by law. He says, we who are Jews by birth and sinful Gentiles know that a person is justified by the, not justified by the works of the law, first time, but by faith, first time. So we too have our, put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ second time and not by works of the law. He says it again, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times. He's looking at Peter and saying, dude, in case you didn't get it the first time. In case you didn't get it the second time. In case you didn't get it, here's the third time. We are justified by the works of Christ and not by our lawful actions. That's huge for us. It's as if he needed to remind Peter that... He had gotten off the straight line of the gospel. You see, it was worth it to him to lose a friend for the sake of the gospel. Let's pause for a second and think about the gravity of this conversation. By the way, it was a confrontation and it was a public confrontation. There are times we must stand and hold our ground for the truth, even if it might mean at that moment, a separation in friendship. Because we must walk the straight line of the gospel. And the gospel is we are sinners saved by grace, not by works, and we can never save ourselves. And Paul is looking at this man who knows the truth and saying, you're wrong. And I can't sit here any longer and put up with this. And I would even say this, listen to me, have nothing to do with this doctrine. It's a man-made religion. Jesus fulfilled the law. No one else ever has, no one else ever will, because he's the only perfect God-man to ever live and ever will live on planet Earth. Paul says the works of the law will not justify anyone. Besides... Think about this. Who in their right mind, clear mind, 
really thinks that they could justify themselves. <laughs> Honestly, do you think when we get to heaven one day that we get there, God calls us in, and we go to the bematos, the judgment seat of Christ, and we stand there, and he says, okay, line up. Tell me, what have you done with your life that is so good and so meaningful and so distinguished above everyone else that I'm going to let you into heaven? That is crazy, absolutely ludicrous to think along those lines. How could we ever think we could add anything to the finished work of Jesus on the cross? And by the way, what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. He finished the work for us. Salvation by works, and I will say this, it is a criminal doctrine that will send people to hell. It's a criminal doctrine. That's why Paul is so upset. At the beginning of this letter, he said he was astonished at how quickly they had departed from the truth. You see, if we are saved by works, then Jesus died in vain. If a man can save himself, then he doesn't need Jesus. The 613 laws of the Old Testament set a standard that which no man except for Jesus has been able to obtain. That's why in the Old Testament they had animal sacrifices of unblemished lambs and goats. And they would, they, would, they would sacrifice them and put them on the altar and they would offer them to God. Because in the Old Testament the blood would cover the sins of the people. But New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus came, he became, he shed his blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We don't have to go out back and go grab an unblemished lamb and sacrifice again. Why? Because Jesus' blood covers our sins and replaced the sacrifice for our sins. It's crazy to think that we need to go back to the Old Testament and start sacrificing again. And Paul is looking at Pete saying, you're nuts. And I need you to know this. You see, when Jesus' righteousness, when we receive Jesus' righteousness by faith, we are declared righteous, guiltless, and perfect in the sight of God. A lot of barriers arise between people because of the ways we try to justify ourselves. The Jews did this with the law. How far, think about this. They would say this in the Old Testament. And there's some people even today that want to go back and do the ceremonial laws, want to go back and do the, 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 the Israelite laws. And how, they would say things like this. Here's how, here's how crazy it got in the Old Testament. How far can we walk on the Sabbath? Can we eat camel meat or turkey bacon? <laughs> or can we wear polyester or cotton? So now everyone's righteousness is outside in. And what would happen in, it began a quest to distinguish ourselves and say, I kept more, I did more, you're not doing it. And now it's one big episode of Survivor where trying to convince everyone why we shouldn't be voted <laughs> off the island. And works leads to competition with each other. And hoping that God will love us more because we did it bigger and better and longer. And now we feel better about ourselves. Because we did it better than you in that room. My house did it better than your house. 
I didn't sin as much as you sinned. And we put this barrier back up between us and God. And when Jesus came, hear me out, he busted down the barrier. Why would we ever want to set it back up? Paul is looking at Peter and saying, dude, you know better. Peter, Cephas, which is Peter here. We built the church upon the rock, your name. Why are you more concerned about what your friends think about you than the truth? He's upset with him. Charles Spurgeon, who lived way before we did, has some really good stuff to say about Galatians chapter 2, and I found some really, really good thoughts with his writings. And he began to say that we do these three things when it comes to Galatians and living by the law, that we actually have these three levels of pride. He said there's the the pride of race, the pride of face and place, and then the pride of grace. But this path to living the law or be earning your salvation is is steeped or birthed in pride. Think about the pride of race. Here's how it goes for, for people that walk this path of the law. Racism is when you glory in your ethnic identity as a way of distinguishing yourselves above others. And the truth is, your worth is not in your Jewishness, Paul is saying, and I would say it's not in your Americanness, it's not in my whiteness or your blackness, our, our, our identity or our worth. There's no difference between Jew and Greek because we call on the same Lord. And so if you place your pride in race, all of a sudden your identity is banked in something else. Our identity and worth has nothing to do with our ethnicity. Can I get an amen in those rooms? When we become Christians, our cultural distinctives don't go away. They just become less important. And let me just pull away and say, cultures are beautiful. It's one of the things I love about the differences in culture. I love traveling to other countries and then seeing how they do culture. And and, and one of the things I try to do when we lead teams, like, let's honor their culture. And I learned so much. Cultures are beautiful. They really are. But we have one core problem. It's sin. And we have one hope, and his name's Jesus. Tony Evans, who is a black preacher and prolific writer, and recently his wife just passed away, has some good thoughts on this whole idea of pride of race. And he said this, listen to his words. He says, the racial application to Paul's teaching here in Galatians 2 is that it is technically incorrect to say, listen to this, I'm a black Christian or I'm a white Christian. Because now you made black and white adjectives and a Christian a noun. And the job of the adjective is to modify the noun. So now you got to keep Christian looking like the adjective that describes it or ceases to be Christian. And then he said this. But black and white culture have nothing to do with the essence of being a Christian. It would be better said this way, he said. I'm a Christian who happens to be white. Or I'm a Christian who happens to be black. God is not telling Jewish people to become Gentiles or Gentiles to become Jews. He's not telling white people to be black people or black people to be white people. He's calling all groups to be 
kingdom people. Can I get an amen? The second way that we misuse this whole law thing is the pride of face and place. Charles Spurgeon had some great thoughts on this. And you see, we think some personal accomplishments or abilities make us better than others. Money, fame, talents. And so if, if we keep adding to trying to get to God, then why well, did it better and look what I did. And so we tend to see people successful or unsuccessful in this train of thinking. I kept the law. I did this. I did this. I, and before you know it, you begin to, to categorize or even put people in different stratas or levels as successful or unsuccessful. And what will happen is you begin to look down on others. Let's just be really honest. Who cares how intelligent you really are? Now, think about this for a second. Because I'm promised the mind of Christ. <laughs> you can get better than that. Who cares how beautiful the world says you are? Because my Bible says that I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? You see, when we begin to say, I'm smarter, I'm better, I did this better, I'm more successful, and we begin to say that somehow those accomplishments makes us closer to God, we have lost our way. But before God, there's only one kind of sinner, and the only way to be saved is grace through faith. Our accomplishments, hear me out, your looks, and probably right now you're not looking too good because you're just hanging out at home and you didn't have to get cleaned up for Sunday morning service here. <laughs> your looks, your accomplishments, your talents have nothing to do with your salvation because what we have with Jesus is worth so much more. Can I get an amen to that? Do you realize how little of your talents you can actually take credit for too? They're all gifts from God. I want you to sit here for a second because if you're basing success or unsuccess and saying, well, I'm doing it better and in and, and God's eyes, I'm better and, and look at that Christian, look how I live and how they live and I'm so much smarter, I'm a better businessman, I'm a better preacher, I'm a better athlete, I'm a better musician, I'm a better plumber, I'm a better artist, I'm a better uh, carpenter, I'm better, I'm better, I can sew better and, and, I, and if you begin to think that it's you, then what happens is you begin to classify yourself and feel better about yourself when our security is in Christ and grace through faith. And by the way, how did you get these talents? They came from your parents. All the genes that you have and talents come from your parents. God gave you health. Do you think if you were born as an orphan in the hill tribes of Thailand that you would be as successful right now as you are here where you're at? You see, God has some precious children that we know here at Grace Community that were born in the hill tribes of Thailand. In fact, in Thailand, the very, they can't even get a Thai citizenship because they're not considered citizens of Thailand because they're the poorest of poor. And you want to tell me that because they were born there that they're not as successful as you are? You see where this goes? Charles Spurgeon also used the pride of grace. Boy, put your steel toes on for this one and just let me unpack this one as I was thinking this through. The pride of grace says, comes from 
living a moral or religious life. And now you feel a sense of distinction. Let me just pause and say this again. There are no JV versions of sons and daughters of Christ. Can I get an amen? There are none. I've never, here's how it goes. Here's how, here, here, here's how this pride of grace plays out. And we say things like this, like, I'm better. Look at me, God. Look what, and here's what, here's how. And we say things, I've never done that sin, so I'm better. I've never did drugs in all my life. Look, look at me, God. I never did drugs. You see them? As though somehow that makes you better. I've never gotten divorced, God. I am undivorced. And look, we've been married for 50 years, and that makes me better than someone that's been divorced. I've never been incarcerated either. Can you believe those Christians have been incarcerated? I've never gotten fired from a job. Boy, I am so much more successful than someone else. Or I've never had a baby out of wedlock. Boy, boy, look at me. And neither has anyone in my family. My family, no one's been divorced. No one's been incarcerated. No one's had a baby out of wedlock. No one's done drugs. We are better. That is a ludicrous theology. You see, our hearts are desperately wicked. And the seed, hear me out, the seed of every sin is in your heart and my heart. And it's only by grace through faith in Christ alone that we're saved. It's not based on what we didn't and did do. And just because that's been your journey doesn't make you better or me less. You see what happens when we start trying to walk this line and, and, and get intoxicated with it, adding these other substances? We can't walk the straight line. We start saying, I can juggle seven balls. Watch me. <laughs> and I have struggle with two. The gospel doesn't have any other substance. It's Jesus plus nothing. Amen? You see, no one is accepted by God's based on their performance. That's what he says in verse 17. Look look, look what Paul says here in verse 17. He says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. In fact, we are actually sinning by when we try to keep the law. Have you ever thought about that? You are sinning by trying to keep the law and adding to your salvation. That is sin. Well, no, no, oh, yes, it is. If you think that somehow adding works keeps you secure or gives you security and salvation, then that is sin because that's not the straight line of the gospel. Oh, you mean I'm, yes. The very people that believe that would often look at the people that don't believe that and say, you're sinning. I want to say, no, the gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing. Equals everything. You see, Jesus nailed our indebtedness to the cross. That's what it says in Colossians chapter two. He took the law, nailed it to the cross, and he said, I fulfilled it completely. I'm the only perfect human God to ever live, and no one can get through God, not by 
any works, but only through the work of perfect work of Jesus on the cross. We are sinning because the standards we're trying to bring back will condemn us. And so Paul's looking at Peter and saying, dude, do you realize what you're doing? Pete, think about this for a second. Cephas, Cephas, come here. He calls him Cephas. I like, I like, I, like he used his middle name. Like, no, come. My mom would say Charles James, or we might say to our kids, Joshua James, or Hannah Catherine, or Isaiah Jacob. It's like parents say that when they want them really to hear this. And he's saying, listen, dude, you know the way. And what you're doing now is way off the track in the line of the gospel. And the very thing that you're doing, you're trying to keep the law, guess what? It will end up condemning you because you can't keep the law, Peter. That's why Jesus came. Besides, future obedience cannot overcome past disobedience if you live by the law. Here's a conversation. I've had some of these conversations with people in our community over this. And so I say to them, okay, then you're telling me that my salvation is dependent upon me keeping the law. Then I ask them this, how many sins separate you from God? How many? One. And so I say, well, have you ever sinned? Yeah, but I'm not now. So you're separated from God. There is nothing that you can do. Your past sins condemn you. If you're believing that, that doing good earns your salvation, then guess what? You're doomed because your past is sinful. <laughs> and so doing everything from here forward good will not take care of the sin in the past. The only thing that took care of the sin in the past is not doing good in the future. It was Jesus on the cross. Man, isn't that great news for us? Just play it out. The Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Even if you live perfect from here forward, you can never live perfect. You're dead. And dead people can't do good things. And dead people, listen, dead people aren't able to do one good work. So God, or Paul moves on here and look what he says as he wraps this up in verse 19. He says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Powerful verse, the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the straight line of the gospel. And then he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, I don't, I don't just push that away. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Think about this for a second. People will ask me, so then Pastor Jim, do I need to be perfect to get into heaven? Now just pause and let that Ask, ask someone, maybe talk to your kids and, and ask your kids, do you, do, do you need to be perfect to get into heaven? Maybe ask your wife or husband or friend, or maybe text them later and say, do I need to be perfect? Ask your teenager and say, teen, do you need to be perfect to get into heaven? What might your answer to be that? You see, someone who has it all screwed up will answer that different. And the answer to that is, yes. Well, Pastor Jim, how can I be perfect? I'm not perfect, like... 
Like, I know myself. I know what I was thinking. I know what I acted on. I know what I said to my mom and my dad. I know what I did in school, and I know what, that I cheated on that test, and I know that I committed adultery, and I and I and I know that that I that 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 that, that I took these things and broke the law. God, then, then I'm doomed. I'm doomed because I'm not perfect. Because only perfect people go to heaven. Then we're all doomed. That's very true. But the truth is this. There was one perfect sacrifice that died in our place. And because of Jesus, when we stand before God one day, hear me out. When God looks at us, he doesn't say, hey, let me see your to-do list. He says, covered by the righteousness of a perfect Savior. You are positionally perfect in Christ. Come on in. Amen? You see, the result of living by the law is guaranteed frustration. The harder we try, the more we fail. You cannot live up to it. I'll guarantee you that you will fall. One sin will keep you short. Isn't that what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned and fall short. Hear me out. One BLT and you're headed to hell if you live by the law. Because bacon is pork and you're done. Let me just close this out with these kind of four or five thoughts. And, and, and I'll sit down because I want you to just listen to these. Like, grab these. Salvation by works is a deplorable doctrine. <laughs> deplorable. It robs God of glory. It renders the death of Jesus Christ useless. It steals the gospel from lost sinners. It sends, hear me out, it sends people to hell that follow this doctrine. It is a deplorable doctrine. See, that's why for me and for many of us, and I believe salvation by grace through faith, that's why when I get up every day and I come in here to preach, listen to me, if I live by the law, I was doomed to hell. But by God's grace, I am free to be me. And I accept his good work. And what does that do for me? It gives me a deep appreciation. And I don't wake up each day feeling like, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or God loves me. Because I know God loves me the same whether I'm at my worst or at my best. And so I'm free to live on mission. In fact, Pastor Mike's going to come up after the we sing this worship song and he's going to give us some really cool things for us to do to be on mission this week. And part of that is just the, out of the joy of knowing Christ. But let me pause by saying this today. Please, don't add anything to the line of the gospel. You don't need to juggle your way to God. It's Jesus plus nothing. Oh Lord, Help us today to understand the gravity of this and, and how can it be that, God, that you would do this for us? How can it be that, that we were in such a horrible place without you that you sent your son Jesus 
to die on the cross. And yet we gave you in exchange for eternal life, our sin. How can that be? How could a God ever do that? It's because he loves us. And I pray, God, today in these rooms and and wherever we're walking and wherever we're sitting, that we would get a grasp of how beautiful the grace of God is and the love of our God that he would send his son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.